Hi, this is Ken Doherty, and you're listening to Red Devil Talk, the podcast with Jimmy Williams. Calling for it. James can only fist it. It comes for Cantona! I don't believe it! Well led by York, fed by Cole. Back to Andy Cole from Dwight York. Fantastic goal for Manchester United. Can Manchester United score? They always score. Gage with a shot! Sheringham! Name on the trophy! Beckham. It's a Sheringham! And Solskjaer has got it! Ready! In the show, it's my privilege to be joined by one of Ireland's most decorated Gaelic footballers, four-time senior All-Ireland winner with Mayo, and 11-time All-Star winner, Cora Staunton. First things first, Cora, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on, Jimmy. Delighted to be on. Pleasure. I want to begin by chatting about your childhood growing up in Carnacoan. You played many sports, but why did you choose GAA in the end? Yeah, I suppose um, probably just because um, obviously growing up and um, obviously went to primary school and played a lot of sports, as I said, GEA, soccer, basketball, um, a lot of handball, racquetball, because there was a ball alley right beside the school. Um, I suppose really GEA because it was w- one of the only sports that had a club that was nearby. Um, well, I played soccer and that there wasn't a soccer club formed at the time, played a bit of basketball, but obviously GEA was the most popular sport. and. Um, at the time, there was no underage girls GEA, um, but I, I started playing with the boys when I was seven. But yeah, I had an interest in a lot of sports, but I suppose GEA because solely because it was the only kind of team sport that was around um, the locality. I was, uh, like any um, community or country community, you know, it's the it's the biggest sport, um, and especially within Mayo. So yeah, I, I fell I fell in love with GEA, so that's why I, I suppose I picked it up then. I know that you made your your senior debut. For Mayo, age thirteen, which is, which is remarkable. But at what point did you think you had something special compared to the other girls your age? Yeah, I suppose probably um, from an early enough age, as I said, probably in primary school. Um, when when I started to play sport around that kind of six, seven, eight uh, mark, um, I was playing with the boys all the time. A lot of the probably none of the girls at the time were interested in playing any of the sports. You know, whether it was at break time or lunch time. And I suppose then when I joined the boys team at um, under 10 boys team as a seven-year-old, I suppose it was from then. I was Again, I was the only girl at the time um, playing. And yeah, you kind of just knew straight away that you had a bit of a talent. You used to be doing quite well in the matches and the principal of our, our national school would be pushing me to get involved in sport and, you know, everything that I was kind of playing at, whether it was just a, a league within the school, a handball or a racquetball league or whatever it was. I usually done quite well and, you know, kind of won it or came out in top. So, yeah, it was probably him pushing me and then obviously being on the boys team and, um, you know, from an early age, you know, um, you know, obviously making that team, um, even though, you know, I was a girl and, yeah, you became a marked player quite quite early and, yeah, obviously making your debut with Mayo at, at 13. Um, you know, I, I, I suppose as a young person, you kind of don't think of age as, as a number or, or, or a barrier. So, yeah, you just go out and play. But, yeah, probably from early days, I knew that I had I had a bit of a talent as a sports person. It wasn't just at one sport, but just in general. In terms of your sporting heroes growing up or influences, who would have those been? Yeah, I suppose, um, you know, obviously growing up for me, the, the probably the sad thing, which is good now, there wasn't obviously too many female um, role models that I've had um, from a ladies' football point of view. Just 
basically because it wasn't on television, I didn't really know much about it. Even in, in Mayo, I didn't really know much about, you know, women's footballers until I actually joined the senior team. You, you'd only have known the ones that, at your own age group. So, yeah, like I'd have always said growing up, I, I was a huge soccer fan, obviously the Premier League and as a huge Man United fan. So Roy Keane was obviously one. Um, I, I just loved everything he did and followed Man United through all the the glory years and not not such glory years yeah. now but um yeah obviously he, him he was a huge one I used to look up to and watch all the time and probably Sonia O'Sullivan from a point of view that she was a female athlete on television um you know winning um world championships and then obviously going to the Olympics and winning silver at that so they were probably the two that I'm I aspired to be and then on, on from a GA point of view you know male footballers probably like Kira McDonald and further afield then you know I had my favorite football was Mars Fitzgerald so it'd be kind of them um would be probably the four growing up that I'd have looked up to but yeah certainly Roy Keane was and Sonia were my two sporting heroes and people that I really wanted to meet. You touched on your move to Sydney in 2017 to play AFL with the Greater Western Giants I want to know first of all how did that move arise and did you find the transition to that new sport difficult? Uh, yeah, so first of all, um, it was a very kind of strange story the way it happened. Um, it was in 2016, I was um, I was an ambassador for the GEA for the, a thing called the Asian GEA Games, which is a big kind of weekend of football in Asia, it can be anywhere in Asia. Um, so I had been going to that kind of, it was always held around October time. Um, so it was in Shanghai in 2016. I'd been in Kuala Lumpur for the two previous ones. Um, in four, um, 14 and 15. So just out there for the week, normally there's um, a couple of GEA players. Me, Olimar Hertig is the, is the main ambassador. So he's out there every year. And then every year it's myself and normally two male um, counterparts. So um, that year that I went out, actually um, a guy from, they used to play GEA over here in Ireland, but had, went, had moved to the AFL, Nicholas Walsh, um, who had tried obviously played AFL with Melbourne but got injured and came back and then went out and ended up coaching within the AFL so I met him out there and um, he was one of the ambassadors and he had worked at the time was working at the time with the Giants and just telling me about his job one day we we're in a taxi out to the to the venue um, and just telling me about his job and that you know how he works as a defensive coach with the men's team and asking me about AFL and you know I said I have limited um, knowledge of it just from watching a little bit at home around the Ty Kennelly time um, and he said oh the AFLW as it's called so the women are setting up a semi-professional league he said they're actually starting was starting in 2017 and he just said would you ever have an interest in playing and I said oh god no I'm well past that now and that's how the conversation kind of left that was in October 16 I think it was around May uh, 2017 I got an email from Nicholas um, um, introducing me to the women's coach of um, the Giants saying um, there's a new coach the coach that went in for the first season got the sack so there's a new coach in and he was obviously looking for ways to um, make the team better because they hadn't a good first season so he said um, he introduced me over an email and to the coach um, Al and just said um, he'd like to speak to you so then he emailed me back and just um, told me who he was and what he was hoping from the women's team and he just said it would be okay to give you a call sometime and I said yeah no problem so he rang me and just said would you have any interest and I said I had no idea in this stage I was in the middle of championship with Mayo um, and he said I'd like to send my son over to meet you and maybe watch a game so his son lives in London so he came over in July um, to watch a game 
um, and I met him um, after the next day after the game. Now, this was all hush-hush at the time. Only me and one of my best friends knew about it because obviously I'm in the middle of championship and, you know, you don't want to be seen as a distraction and didn't really want anyone to know because I hadn't, you know, didn't know what I was going to do. So um, when I, um, his son went back to London, obviously he, he reported back to his dad and his dad rang me the next day um, and he said, we'd love you to come out for a trial. Um, and I said, yeah, that's fine. But I said, I don't have time. You know, I mean, was coming into an All-Ireland quarterfinal stage with Mayo. Um, and that year we happened to get to the All-Ireland final. So I wasn't going to pop off to Australia for a couple of weeks and, and be in the middle of championship. So I said to him, I can't go. And he said, well, you know, we need you out before the middle of October. That's when the draft is and you have to sign on. And I said, well, hopefully I'll get a chance. You know, we'll just see match by match. As it happened, we got to the All-Ireland of Mayo mid-September. And then once we were finished that, the week after, we were straight into club championship. And I was never going to miss that. So eventually, um, we won the county final. And we're in a Connacht semi-final with club. And there was a week where I could get out. We had a two-week break before a Connacht final. Um, so I went out um, for five days, um, met him on Tuesday morning, I arrived out there, he picked me at the airport, um, drove me to the club, done a session with him and the men's coach and Nicholas as well. Um, yeah, and within an hour he just asked me would I like to join and so I had to make quite a decision quite quickly because the draft was the next day. So yeah, came home um, a couple of days later, played in the Connacht final actually went to a replay, won that, and then we ended up going all the way to the All-Ireland final with Carnegie and winning that. So, yeah, I missed the couple, first couple of weeks of pre-season. So won the All-Ireland on a Saturday, Sunday, and flew out to Sydney on a Tuesday. So it was all a bit of a whirlwind. And, yeah, so three years, going into my fourth season now, um, coming up um, in a couple of weeks' time. Fantastic. How did you find the transition? I mean, in terms of fitness, I know, I know modern GEA, you know, it surpasses anything of an amateur sport, in my opinion, in terms of fitness, the demands of the players, what you're sacrificing, but was there much of a difference between the two games? No, and certainly not in a fitness point of view. You know, I didn't feel like out of my depth in any way. It's like in any team, you'll have girls that are, you know, aerobic beasts and able to run around and, you have, you know, you'll have everyone at different levels of ability, but I didn't, you know, I, I, I sat somewhere comfortably in the middle and, and you know, I was certainly fine with, with that. Um so, yeah, I suppose the biggest difference for me was probably the strength conditioning element. In, in ladies football, strength conditioning has got bigger, but probably only in the last, you know, five or six years, um, I suppose for the, my last couple of seasons in Mayo, it had become a more of a prominent thing that we'd done. But to them over there, the gym and, and that side of it was, was huge. So I found that, you know, a change that we were used to do that four times a week. And that was always after our session out on track. So you could have done a a 90 minute or a 100 minute session and then you could do another 60 to 80 minutes in the gym so I found that that that, that obviously hard from, from the start so it probably took me the first year um to get to the level of, of strength that some of the girls had um and I suppose then obviously there's a couple of different elements the heat obviously was a huge thing at Sydney in, in, in December January is anything between 35 36 37 degrees so so that that certainly played its part um, and then obviously the game itself, you know, while it has a lot of similarities, there's so many differences as well. You know, obviously the obvious one being the ball, the shape of the ball and obviously the tackle. Now, while the tackle didn't really bother me because I had played rugby for a couple of years, that I found that transition of the physicality easy enough where I know other Irish girls that have gone over and found the physicality side of it probably their biggest um, difference. But I suppose to me, the whole structure of the game and game plans, it's very game plan 
orientation structure based so I found that very difficult um, it's all about where you should be on the pitch at a certain play and, and all of that so yeah the education probably took me the longest along with probably obviously the basic skills of, of kicking the ball were probably the two biggest things that I had to adopt yeah. You obviously won't say it but I can say it you are a legend in GAA you're a legend in Mayo you will go down as one but I want to know was the prospect of essentially having to prove yourself all over again something that excited you? Yeah, um, big time. I suppose, like in anything, any sport or any job or work, whatever you do, um, a new challenge is always something. You know, when you're playing this football as long as I was, obviously with Mayo and Carnicone, you know, I had before I had gone to Australia, I had 23 seasons played with Mayo and championship. I hadn't missed a championship game. Um, so, you know, I suppose sometimes a, a new start and a, a kind of fresh sport obviously is, ch- is a challenge. And I suppose, you know, I've you know, been at the probably the top of, you know, my game or in, the, in, in ladies football for a long time and, you know, was, you know, well known and had proven myself over and over again. And I suppose when, when you go over to a, a new country, not knowing anyone, a new sport, you know, I knew going over, I was at the bottom of bottom of the ladder and I had a long way to climb to get to the top or anywhere near um, making a starting uh, team. So, yeah, the challenge uh, really excited me. Um, you know, it was daunting at times and, and it was it was difficult. But, yeah, certainly having to prove myself all over again to a new coach, um, to a new team um, and, and to a new sport was something that really excited me and, and probably gave me that extra bit of mot- motivation that maybe was needed. You were obviously the first international player signed by a women's Aussie rules team. You know, since then, there's been an influx of Irish players. I know Ash McCarthy, she's gone over. You've been a trailblazer of sorts. Yeah, I suppose, you know, that's obviously been said to me before. I suppose um, when you're still involved and you're still playing, you, you kind of don't look at it like that. Um, I suppose when I retire and I'm not playing anymore, yeah, you'd probably look back and say, God, yeah, I did something, you know, remarkable but you know I can't just take all the credit it goes down to obviously my coach um, Al and it goes down to the Giants and, and taking a gamble because it was a huge gamble for them to take and you know then obviously me performing and playing par- playing well was also part of part, part of the package so yeah it was a combination of him I suppose me and, and the club taking a gamble and, and bringing me over and obviously and the gamble paid off and yeah we seen the following year we had a, a couple more girls play in the 2018-19 season and then obviously last year we had 18 girls and I think it's this year we've 17 girls from Ireland that will play so yeah it's yeah you could it's um, a huge achievement but as I said probably won't um, hit home I suppose when you sit back and reflect in, in time um, when, when you don't play anymore. In terms of in sport in general you just said there that you, you probably won't reflect until after your career do you think that's the case when you're winning all Ireland's when you're winning all-stars do you enjoy do you enjoy the moment or is there always kind of a case of you're looking for what's next? Yeah, it's it's a mixture. I, th- I think you try and enjoy the moment. I think as I get older, I, I try and enjoy the moment more and I try and celebrate the wins more. Certainly when I was younger, while you do celebrate them, um, yeah, you're probably always looking to the next goal and what else can be achieved. Um, you probably don't give yourself time enough to reflect. I, I probably feel that more so with our club because we've been very successful and, you know, we're expected to win, um, certainly within Mayo and for a long time we we're expected to win and win within Connacht. Um, so it's just, it was happening all the time. And, and sometimes, 
um, you're always looking to the next bigger thing. So if it was Mayo, we were looking to the Connacht, and if it was in Connacht, we were looking to the All-Ireland. And yeah, you might celebrate if you win the All-Ireland, but if that doesn't happen, you probably haven't celebrated everything else that you've achieved that year. Um, so it's, yeah, certainly over the past five, six, seven years, I've made sure that um, that you celebrate the, the wins more. Um, but yeah, certainly when you're younger, you're, you're looking to the next um, the next goal and um, what else can you achieve? Because the way that it works with ladies football and, you know, would have been all ran off in the same calendar year, you know, our year was maybe January going back in with Mayo, finishing with Mayo August, September time, straight into club and, and club then went on to early December. And it was just like a merry-go-round, you're off again in January. So you never really got much time to downtime to sit and reflect what you'd achieved so yeah I think with age you probably um you learn more to celebrate the the smaller victories and the smaller wins whether that's just a game or a title or um, a good performance whatever it is you mentioned there that you were you were always expected to win which of course is huge pressure you know the pressure of essentially a county on our shoulders I've spoke to a number of athletes and they always tell me that they have little mental techniques if you like to deal with the pressure I want to know, did you have anything like that? Did you have any little mental techniques? Yeah, I, they probably just naturally happened. I suppose with me, it's not that it's a little bit different, but it came very early in my career. I suppose, um, you know, obviously joining Mayo as a 13-year-old, as a you know, in my first game, probably, uh, you know, I, I put a lot of pressure on myself. I think I had scored 1-7 in the first game I played with the senior team. Um, in the first yeah first year championship, you know, I had put up huge scores. Um, so pressure came very early. I was from probably 13 to 14, probably from a 13-year-old. You know, even when I went to school as a first year, you know, I was making senior teams and you know was main scoring forward on them teams, winning all Ireland's. I suppose that that just came and it, I just naturally had to deal with it. Um, how I dealt with it back then, I wasn't sure. Um, I think maybe your innocence and just your love for the game kind of just let you deal with it yeah so as I got older you know I, I probably felt more pressure on me rather than I did when I was 13 14 15 16 um, and the way I just dealt with the pressure is that I, I knew that if I had took no shortcuts and trained as hard as possible and put everything into it then I'm fine if I go out to, in any game and I feel that I'm 100% prepared then I know I'm perfectly fine but if I feel that uh, you know have, if I was carrying an injury or hadn't trained well or whatever then that's when I'd feel more pressure on because I know that I, ha I haven't um, prepared both physically and mentally well enough so that's why um, you know people had asked me you know oh, you, do you not take a couple of months off and for me I'll come back later do I could never do that I always had to be training all the time even now I'm not one for taking a couple of weeks off and taking a break because I feel that I'm not ready um, for training and it's a thing that the coaches and staff in Australia had to get used to because they'd be very much look after the older players, do less training. And they're like, I was like, no, I need to train and I need to do every session. And um, to, don't be taking me off the, the pitch earlier and giving me, you know, um, chop outs from running. I, for me, mentally, I needed to do everything. And once I've done that, then I felt like I was prepared and that maybe in some way eased the pressure off me. I think that says a lot about you, that elite mindset, you know, that, that desire to you know, not take it handy, essentially. That's a great trait, not only in terms of getting to the top of your game, but staying there. Yeah, I just, it's a thing that I, I, I don't know, it's been always in me. I could never take it easy. Um, every session I do, it has to be 
at a hundred percent and I have to be I have to be on the track trying to finish it um obviously there's times where you know I've been lucky it doesn't really happen to me that I have to finish training because of injury normally when, when I've got injured it's it's never um just a two or three week injury it's it's normally a serious injury so you know I've been lucky I've um you know never had many I haven't had any soft tissue injuries that kept me out it's always been breaks or, or something like that so um yeah I've just been lucky in that regard so I've been able to finish out majority of the trainings I've done over the past uh, 25 plus years. This podcast is brought to you in association with Classic Retro Shirts. Classic Retro Shirts sell a large variety of retro jerseys from a number of clubs and countries and are very prominent on Manchester United. United season ticket holders themselves giving fans a chance to look back through history. Classic Retro Shirts are on Instagram at Classic Retros 2 or you can visit their website at classicretros.co.uk. To get a £10 discount off your purchase, you can use the code RDT10 at the checkout on the website or you can send the code via direct message to their Instagram. Classic Retro Shirts. You touched on injury there, so I'd like to stay with that for a moment. Obviously, you had the leg break, which was a bad injury, kept you out for a while. The physical implications of injury are obviously clear, you know, they're evident. Can you tell me a bit about the mental impact of the injury? Yeah, I suppose, um, as I said, throughout my career, there hasn't been, you know, a lot of my injuries have been breaks, you know, noses, broke my nose four times, collarbones, I've done an ACL, so there's a mental side to that. Um, and obviously, the leg break was, you know, it's the most recent, so you, you can, you know, try and go through the mental side of that my ACL is what 10 or 12 years ago now so probably forgotten about that whole mental side of that but I, I certainly with the leg break yeah there's a huge mental in, implication and people always just look at the physical side of it and um, for me it probably came in different stages obviously the first stage is you know the first initial two weeks where you're not able to do anything and if you're a very active person and all you can do is sit down or and you're on crutches there's a mental side of that that you you feel oh god I'm, I'm losing fitness you know I have to be careful that I don't put on weight all of that side implications then it moves to when I can you know get out and do something so after two weeks you know I, I came off crutches pretty went down to maybe one crutch got my stitches out and surgeon then allowed me to do something so I was in the in the swimming pool walk and I was on a bike so once I could get physically active, that helped my mind. Obviously, there's loads of challenges along the way, but once I could feel that I was um, doing something, I, I was on the road. It's like I was at the bottom of the ladder and was trying to climb to the top, but at least I was at the bottom and I, I was going. Um, and then the, the mental challenges come along the way. Um, and for me, it was there were different things. Um, I used to get very frustrated when I couldn't do something, and couldn't do something to me was that, um, you know, I was asked maybe to hop on one leg, um, or um, skip or try and come down the stairs. There are basic things I used to get very frustrated at. So obviously my strength and conditioning coach would take you through all of these. And when she'd asked me to do something, I'd try it and I couldn't do it. And then I'd get frustrated, but I'd make sure the next time I'd be back with her, which could be the next day, that I'd have it practice so much that I'd have it nearly right. And then by the third time, so the next day after that, I'd be back, I'd have it right. So whatever she gave me, um, I made sure that I worked in, in stages that I have it right. And she said it would normally took that the first time you couldn't get it, the second time you'd nearly have it. And by the third time we'd, we'd do it, I'd have it right. So it was that mental battle with yourself to always um, not give up and, and 
while you were frustrated and angry that you'd use that in some way to um, to make you better. So there was little little battles on the way. The probably the biggest battle for me was I think in week seven and a half, maybe going into week eight. Um, I, I tried to run on a treadmill called the Alter Jeet, so it's a weightless treadmill, and I had a bad reaction when I came off that. I, I had to go back on crutches for a couple of days because I had an issue with nerve damage in my leg and um, I just had to probably just take a step back for a few days. So that mentally really challenged me because I was sitting at home um, in an apartment and not being able to move again where I had been making progression. Um, so yeah, you're doubting yourself in them times. But as I said, once I was physically active and I could see um, a road forward, I was fine. Um, so yeah, there was challenges along the way. Probably another challenge then is obviously getting back out on the track running I didn't really find it a challenge the biggest thing was going back into contact because obviously the mental scars like you know my injury I could play it through my head I know exactly what happened I can hear the my leg crunching and breaking as it's going down so that initial going out in the track and um dealing with um okay this is going to happen to me again someone's going to tackle me and this my leg could get caught in this place so to deal with that so it was different different stages and different steps but I think your mind is so powerful um, Whatever, whatever you want to do, you can achieve. Um, and a lot of the time, my motivation comes from people doubting me. And, and at times, it could be the smallest thing. Someone will say, oh, she'll never get back, or she might get back, but she'll never get back to her best. It'll be the little comments and the doubts that'll give me that extra motivation that sometimes that I might need. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm very much of a person that probably looks at when people try and doubt me and I'd write stuff down and I'd remember their comment and, and that would get me through six months of rehab. Fascinating. That's class. So you, you see it as a challenge and you you enjoy that challenge. Yeah, I certainly I big time. I've seen the whole leg break. Um yeah, obviously initially the first twenty four hours or so you're not you're not looking like that. But yeah, certainly when I'm, you know, after the operation and the surgeon said, Yeah, no, you it can be done, you can get back. And then you've other people saying you can't. Oh, I see it as a massive challenge. And I say, like like going playing AFL for the first time. This is just another challenge. And um, the self doubt from one or two people then just even drop that challenge on. And when you're doing your sixth or seventh session in the week and you're sitting on a bike for the maybe 150th time and you're like, oh, why am I doing this? You just I see that I can remember them comments ringing in my ears or the person that said it might walk by me in the gym and then I'm like. I'll keep going. So, um, yeah, a lot of the time it's a challenge and then you're trying to sometimes prove to people, even though you've nothing to prove, but prove to people that you're able to come back from it. Fascinating. You, you touched on the whole notion of doubt there and you touched on being wary of contact. Obviously, GAA and AFL, you know, they're multi-directional sports. When you come back from your injury, are you wary of certain movements? Obviously, you mentioned the people who doubt you. But after you've had a few injuries, is there any aspect of you that then begins to, to doubt your own body? Do you even allow that to come into your mind? Uh, I think you allow it. There's times, um, like I could pick out, like I, I think you're lucky with the people who work at, I obviously had a great physio and strength conditioning coach and they put different techniques in and, and stuff that I didn't even know when I went back into contact training. Like everything was step by step. You know, I learned how to tackle in a very controlled environment, one-on-one. Um, and I learned how to be tackled in a controlled environment. And then they'll, they'll bring that out onto the, onto the training pitch and they, they do that. Everything's controlled. But, you know, she, she'd have told me afterwards that, oh, well, I, like today I told a certain player to go out and make sure they tackle you. 
Um, so she had things set up that I didn't know were going to happen. But I suppose there's one Saturday morning session I can certainly remember. I had, you know, this was, I think, in January. I'd been back in full contract training, but just having a really bad session. It was really, really warm. And obviously the heat was getting to me. It was one of her really 40 degree sessions. And I remember just, I couldn't move as well as I normally would. Obviously a lot of my game has moved on and especially the Irish players over there, they can't, they can't believe how agile we are. And, you know, obviously comes from GEA. Um, and I just didn't have my sidestep. I was just dropping the ball. I was afraid, like when I was had the ball and I was, you know, I could normally run and get by players. I just couldn't do it. And one Saturday morning, I got really frustrated. And I remember through the whole session, I was trying to hold myself from not going into floods of tears. I was really angry, but I was like at the same time on, on the verge of just walking off the track because I was ready to burst out crying. So I was just trying to hold myself. And I remember after that session, um, I just laid in the dressing room afterwards with one of my friends and she, she was probably the only one that knew at the time, but I was extremely frustrated. But I, I knew um, the next day I was in the club working on things on my own, whether it was to carry a ball and sidestep or ever. And then by the next session, things just clicked and, and I was fine again. So I think when you just go off and do a lot of work on your own, whatever it is, um, and just it's trying to build your confidence is probably the biggest thing again. Um, and there will be moments, there was, we played our first um, practice match and um, that was probably another big thing. But in the, I said in the first moment of this match, I, I need to go and nail someone. I need to go and tackle someone. And I did that. And then it was like all your nerves, all your doubt, all your lack of confidence was gone and you felt like you were back to normal. I obviously don't know you personally, but from speaking to you for the last 20 minutes or so, it's clear to me that you are mentally resilient. I think your mindset is, is strong. Was there ever any point throughout the injury where you thought, I might, I might never be the same player? No, I don't think so. I, like There was never a point throughout my injury um, that I said I wouldn't get back playing. Um, did I know where I get back playing to the point? I always thought I would. Um, like the biggest concern I probably had would, oh, you know, because I'm not the most aerobically um, best player, so I have to work up my run. And I, you know, I don't enjoy going for a 5K or anything like that. Give me short sprints or anything like that any day. So I don't enjoy, um, you know, doing long distance runs. So like I, that's a challenge for me all the time to stay fit. And I've done that throughout my career by um, just not stopping training because I just train all the time. So th that was a big concern to me that I was like, oh my God, will I be able to get back to the fitness levels that everyone else was at? And in turn, it actually was probably the fittest I've ever got back because I was doing so much, even though I didn't feel like I was doing it because I was obviously off legs a lot of the time. So I felt that was probably a point where I was like, oh, will I be able to get back to that level? But I never doubted that I wouldn't get back. Um, I knew that if I put in the hard work and I'd done exactly what I was told, you know, people ask me, you know, was it hard? Well, I had a strength conditioning coach and a physio that basically laid out everything every day of every of the week, telling me what to do. And if I'd done it, more than likely I was going, you know, 90% chance of getting back if I'd done everything they told me. And which I did, I just followed it step by step. Um, yeah, maybe doing a little bit extra, you know, when they weren't watching and whether that was an extra 20 minutes on a bike. But, you know, I did um, follow everything they told me to the letter of the law, especially Anthony that was to do, you know, you know, running and that I wouldn't do anything extra, you know, and I just followed what they told me. So I never doubted it from that point of view. I was worried that I'd get, be able to get back to a level of fitness to compete at the top level. That was probably my biggest worry, as I said, because I'm not the most aerobic um, player out there. 
what do you think you learned about yourself throughout the injury? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I always knew I was mentally tough and mentally strong because I've gone through other things in life, you know, um, outside of sport, um, whether, you know, obviously it's well documented that I've lost my mother when I was young. I, you yeah. know, I lost one of my best friends in a car crash, you know, when I was 21. So I knew I was always mentally resilient, you know, I've got injured and I missed my first All-Ireland. So there's been, I knew that was always there. I knew I was always mentally tough. I don't think the people and certainly the, the teammates in Australia and coaches and stuff um, probably knew that as well. You know, when I broke my leg and there was my close friends and teammates here in Ireland were like, oh, she'll be back. There's no, no doubt she'll be back. But there was obviously a different, you know, girls that didn't know, know me as well were like, maybe she won't. Um, but uh, yeah, I probably learned... Um, to be a little bit more patient. I'm not probably the most patient person in the world. So um, I learned that um, you know, the mind will do whatever it wants to. If the, the mind will do whatever the body asks it to do. If your mind wants to do a marathon, it'll do it. And you mightn't be the fittest person in the world, but if your mind and you're strong enough mentally, it, it can do wonders. Um, so I think I learned that, learned to be very patient and that, um, um, yeah, I probably learned that I'm, you know, the the experts are the experts. So the physios and the strength conditioning coaches, um, they're the ones that know um, what they're doing and, and trust in them, um, which maybe I found hard at the start because I wanted to go faster than they were. But um, eventually I learned that I need to trust in them and do what they're um, telling me. Um, and I learned, probably the biggest thing I learned is that, you know, um, and I said I've been extremely lucky that, sport can be taken away from you so suddenly whether it's injury whether it's illness whatever it is uh, um, to appreciate every session every game that you play because um, it can be taken away very very quickly as an athlete I suppose a lot of your life is naturally invested into sport you're always planning for something a game or training or something did the injury impact your self-perception how you viewed yourself did it change that no, I don't think so. Um, obviously, um, it probably like I don't think it really changed my self perception. Um, the biggest probably worry that I had, and you know, when I look back, that I I had probably a lot of guilt attached to my injury, which I, I'm a person that probably lives a little bit, little bit like that. Um, because I had stayed on in Australia um, after the season was over for, for an extra two months to, to get more AFL games in with a club over there, um, because obviously I knew I was coming out for the following season. So I wanted to get better at the game because we don't play too many games. And so I said I'd take an extra two months and I'd come back in June um, time for a club championship. Um, so my initial thing was I had a lot of guilt um, when I got injured. I was like... I've let my club kind of come down. I've let the team down. I've let everyone down because I'm not going to be able to, you know, be back for club championship, even though I did come back for the end of it um, in in kind of September, October time. But I, I just felt that guilt for the first while. I felt really bad that I was letting them down, which you know, some people say you're daft. You, you know, you've done so much for them. You've done so much for the club. But I just think um, that was probably the one thing I had. But Self-perception-wise, no, I always felt that um, it, it didn't affect me in any way. I just still felt like I was an athlete, a sports person, but I, it was just a different side of it. It was just a different challenge. As I said, 
I don't think um, a sports, an athlete or a sports person can know how mentally resilient or how mentally tough you are until you go through a, a serious injury. Um, so whether that's a leg break or an ACL or long-term injury, I don't think you learn as much about yourself um, as a person and as a, and as a sports person unless you go through an injury. So, you know, as I said, I've probably gone through two major injuries, ACL and, and leg break. And I think you can learn so much about yourself in that time um, that can really improve you as, as a sports person. You mentioned guilt there and that people might perceive that as daft, but I'm fascinated by the whole injury thing. If that's, if that's not obvious already, I, I study it. I'm interested in the responses there. But guilt is a natural, is a really common occurrence. I think that's fascinating. Yeah, it is. I, and I go, well, wow, straight away, that's in, like when I happened and I was on the ground waiting for an ambulance to come in an extreme plane and my leg dangling in front of me, you know, there's that guilt attached going, oh my God, I was there trying to count the months to when our county final was, would I get back while I was lying on the ground? And then I'm sitting as high as a kite after taking a couple of green whistles and asking the ambulance men who has no idea what I've done. Like they know I've broken my leg, but not how badly. How long do you think will I be before I can get back playing? To then asking the lady that was doing my x-ray, to then asking to the surgeon, you know, when can I get back playing? This is all within a couple of hours, you know, from 20 minutes after injury to five or six hours to then when I get settled in my um, hospital bed after getting my legs straight and waiting for surgery two days later to spending a couple of hours on Google, Googling anyone that had any quadruple leg break, how long did it take them to get back? So, yeah, your mind is just, yeah, it, play, it plays daft tricks. And I suppose that all was associated with guilt um, and then obviously associated with that, I'm, you know, I'm not one to be out for too long. And, and the thoughts of having to be out for six, seven, eight, nine months um, probably wasn't a thing as a sports person wants to do. So, yeah, you, you just, yeah, it's, it's your mind is, is, is very powerful. And what you do in the moments, um, especially a couple of, uh, probably in the, in the tw- 48 hours after a serious injury, um, and then you have, you know, you're trying to get on to people to try and find out, you know, who else had a serious leg break and, and trying to contact them to see what um, you could do. You know, you see, so you do, you do go beyond everything just to try and get back out in the, out in the pitch. And finally, Cora, I want to thank you for your time again. I really appreciate it. The big question on this podcast, I ask everyone, in your opinion, what are some of the most crucial factors in achieving elite sporting performance? I think the, probably the most crucial for me is that you have to be very driven. Um, if you want to get to the top in any sport, um, it comes down to hard work. Um, whatever the, your end goal is, is that to win an All-Ireland, to be the best in your sport, um, you have to put in the hard work. You can have all the talent in the world. And yeah, I, I often tell kids, you know, hard work beats talent every day of the week. Um, so for me, yeah, I was lucky. I was blessed with the talent from a young age, but... The reason I've succeeded is that I've been very driven. I've worked really hard. And I think on top of that, that I'm very mentally strong. Any challenge that comes in your way um, or any bump in the road that you have along the way, you just see any, that's sort of any bump that you have in the road, you see it as a challenge. And um, as sports people and as athletes, all we want is a challenge. So the bigger the challenge, the harder we work. Fantastic. What's next for Cora? You've had a career spanning over two decades. You've won everything, your accolades. They speak for themselves. Do you have any more goals they'd like to tick off before we finish? 
Yeah, I certainly wouldn't mind winning a premiership now um, in um, in the next year or so. Um, my goal at the moment is trying to get out to Australia um, um, in the next couple of weeks for pre-season. It's, it's um, proven a bit challenging with all this COVID stuff. But um, yeah, no, just to hopefully have uh, another good season with the Giants and try and, you know, get to another level of performance. Um, yeah, ideally, you'd love to win a premiership over there and then obviously come back and go for um, another county title, Connacht title in All-Ireland with Carnacone if it's possible. But um, yeah, that's probably what's left. And yeah, after that, who knows? Um, but certainly stay involved in sports in some level um, when, when I re- retire from AFL and, and ladies football. Fantastic. Great stuff. I really enjoyed that. Thanks very much. No problem at all, Jimmy. Thanks for having me on. All the best for the future. Thank you. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks for listening to Red Devil Talk. We hope you enjoyed our latest episode and don't forget you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Red Devil Talk. If you listen on an Apple device, please consider leaving a review and a five-star rating. If you have any questions or comments or want more information on Red Devil Talk podcasts, you can get in touch via email at reddevil talkmedia at gmail.com.